And we are live with our 169th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. We have quite a bit to talk about today. Uh, before we jumped into it, though, I did want to remind people, and if you've been listening, you know that we will be in Hawaii for Locomocosec in a couple of months. Uh, my travel is all booked, Kansas as well, and we will be teaching Practical Secure Code Review. This is very relevant just based on the discussion topics that we're going to have today. Um, but if you are interested, please, please, please come along. Uh, there will be other opportunities this year, definitely, to get in the course. But that's the next place that we're going to be. And what better place to do it than in Hawaii, right? Like, uh, go sit on the beach when we're not talking code. So um, outside of that, like, I don't have a lot on my schedule as far as, like, conferences and other things outside of, obviously, uh, well, for me, obviously, I guess not everyone, but I will be at DEF CON. Um, we will be doing the Hacker Tracker stuff there. But if you know of a security conference that you want in Hacker Tracker, let me know. Otherwise, can I? Yeah, I don't know. Do you have anything on your calendar as far as conferences or things that you're watching that you want to attend? No, I was going to go to DEF CON. Do we apply for training for DEF CON? I forget. We, yeah, it, it, the call for training is still open there. They're, so DEF CON's interesting. They're going to offer trainings this year, not just the workshops that they have in the past that you had to like jump in the raffle for to sign up, um, but it's the two days after DEF CON that they're doing them in the Caesars forum. So typically DEF CON wraps up on Sunday and then, um, yeah. And then everybody leaves either Sunday afternoon or Monday, right? Like after, uh, but Monday and Tuesday are going to be training classes at uh, Caesars forum sponsored by DEF CON. So the professional paid training. Uh, so similar to what, you know, black hat or other trainings are. So yes, we are going to be submitting there. We'll see how it goes. Um, I, it popped up recently and yeah, may as well give it a shot. See, I, since we're going to be there anyway, um, granted, you know, I'm, I'm typically Vegas out by Sunday, so we'll see how that goes, but <laughs> otherwise I, I think know, it's going to be good. Yeah. I've come to really enjoy Vegas um, over the years <laughs> and it's mainly just because like, uh, you know, good food, and lots, lots of good yeah. food options and I like to eat. So um I think that's actually just, that's probably like the main thing is I'm just being a, a fatty, just like going there and liking <laughs> to eat. So what it is. So, Hey, I was going to ask you since before we get into the, like the meat of uh, all this technical stuff we're about to get into. Um, what are your thoughts about the whole Twitter and Elon Musk bit? Uh, no pressure. You're on camera and your response is recorded. Um, doo, doo, doo. What are my impressions? Um, I don't know what he's going to do with the platform, right? Like this got me a lot, like thinking back a lot to uh, the dumpster fire that Twitter became, right? Like you and I used to be very, very active on Twitter from a security research perspective. And there still are people that I follow on Twitter that do post security research. I don't spend um, anywhere near as much time on Twitter as I used to, especially, you know, gathering up those different resources to see what's, what's going on. So from an overall perspective, if it leads to kind of getting rid of some of the trolls, I guess, and improving the overall like content flow and Twitter timeline stuff, I'm for it. I just don't know, like, I don't know what the end goal there is, right? You know, from a 
uh, you know, freedom of speech perspective from like, th there's so many different angles that you can come at it from mm -hmm. that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm cautious, right? Like, I, like, I just, I don't know. It's go, it's definitely going to change that landscape um, because Elon Musk for better or worse is a lightning bolt. He's a, you know, he is a divisive character. Um, people either seem to really love him or, you know, can't stand him. So hmm. like I can see people fleeing the platform just because they, he's the, he's the one in charge now. Um, hmm. But you also see like the, there could be, yeah. I, I just don't know, right? Like, I, I, like, yeah, I, I know. I'm it's hard to know. With, it's hard to know. I'm withholding judgment because I like, I, we still use Twitter. Obviously, like we promote the podcast on Twitter. We have the Twitter accounts there, um, and yeah, there there is still research that goes on. There's still interesting stuff. So I don't. I mean, what's your take, right? Like, um, like what are your feelings on it? Like, yeah. Well, just, just to kind of follow through with what you're saying, um, I like, or one point you mentioned was the like uh, timeline uh, part of Twitter and how that all works. And like, I, I definitely, so just real quick on that part, like, I think for me, the beginning of the end for my usage, cause like I'm rarely on Twitter. In fact, I actually had to apologize to two separate people this morning. Cause like, I finally checked my DMS and I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, I don't, I, I'm not on here much. I, you know, tried to answer questions the best. Anyways, the beginning of the end for my usage was when they switched from the uh, engagement model and ad focused model to, or they switched to that from the just like pure timeline event um, yep. model. Uh, that was like a more pure form of for me. So, but um, I guess I'm just, I'm hearing a lot of chatter about web three stuff with Elon. I, I should have also given you the context. I was more approaching it. And I mean, that pretty much is how you answered it about the like tech part of it. I, I don't philosophically, care who runs it or whatever honestly but uh i am curious about the web 3 component because that keeps being something or it keeps cropping up as some item people keep mentioning and so like yeah. I, i'm curious like what that actually will look like and and mean if that is true so that's interesting um the freedom of speech bit um I, yeah i mean i guess like it's I, it's i mean yeah it's, there's it's definitely always been a company on twitter right yeah what's yeah. that no, I mean, it's, it's, it's always been a private, it's always been a company and a private company, right? Like, so yes, the ownership is changing hands, but mm -hmm. there's always going to be some level. I mean, just like Facebook, there's always going to be some level of censorship and some level of things that they're not going to want you to do on their platform. And sure. I'm sure that'll change a little bit, but sorry, I, I interrupted your thought there. So keep it. No, no, that's pretty much like my curiosity too, is how does, how does censorship since, since censorship is uh, something that occurs on that platform is that because people keep talking about the freedom of speech a aspect with Elon. So I, I, I'm not sure if that means um, that there will be less censorship, um, you know, and, and how I just, I, I guess there's a lot of questions to see I, I, more questions than I have any real thoughts, you know, it's just, that's why I was asking you because I genuinely, like, I'm like, oh, I just have more questions. You know, what do you think? Because I'm curious, you know, what, where your head's at on it. Um, yeah. When I have I, more questions than thoughts, then it's like. It's a good I time to talk about to other it. people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, it, like, I mean, there's polarizing figures all across the tech landscape, right? Um, and Elon is the most recent one. I mean, obviously, anyone that, that becomes 
wildly successful and makes billions of dollars. There's going to be lovers and haters, right? Um, you can look at Bezos, you look at, you know, jobs, you look at, you know, any of the, you know, the, the tech giants, right. And that's, that's what's happened. Um, it's just interesting that he's, he's decided to take over a social, social media, um, and like, or a social media platform. And you're not sure where he's driving with it. I like, I am interested on the web three front as well. Like what, what that integration looks like. Um, I still go back with Web3 and even just like blockchains in general. Um, and I realize we have Bitcoin. I realize we have like cryptocurrencies, but a lot of blockchain still to me is a technology in search of a problem to fix. Mm. Um, and so like, you know, integrating it with Twitter, I, I don't know if that's that, that's even a possibility. You know, some of the decentralized um, like cost of that. And yeah, yeah I, I, I just don't know like what they're imagining there is going to happen um, because blockchain does, I like the more a blockchain grows, the more expensive it gets to actually maintain that blockchain from both a, you know, computing power perspective and from a memory perspective. Um, and then also from a consumption perspective, like if you want to join that chain, there there's a certain barrier to entry that, you know, the, the, that becomes associated with it if you're trying to mine things. So, I, yeah, again, it's a pro, it's a solution in search of a problem in a lot of cases. And we shoehorn in when it's not necessarily entirely appropriate. Um, but I, again, I'll withhold judgment. We'll see where they decide to go with it. I've never heard that term before, or that phrase before. A solution without a, or a solution without a problem. That's um, an interesting take. That's definitely. I'm going to quote you on that, Seth. Um, <laughs> I, I, I no. this, cool. this is always this has always my, been my issue with blockchain in general, right? Um, so Bitcoin has definitely built a niche for themselves, and like cryptocurrencies have, and it feels like that is an appropriate use of a blockchain. Um, but it didn't necessarily like it de like the decentralized aspect of, you know, currencies, right? Okay, you know, person to person payment, it is fairly, it is still kind of an expensive proposition to do that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but, but you saw this initially when blockchain became like came out, and they were trying to sell the solution to organizations. And I remember this, I was working for a financial at the time and they're like, Oh, well, we should move to the blockchain. And that was the whole discussion that we ended up having was why, right? This is the same question that I ask people about Kubernetes when they're like, <laughs> all, like two person startup. And they're like, Ooh, we're going to deploy Kubernetes. And I'm like, why this is a solution that you fixated on and you're searching for a problem to fix for it. Um, even though you don't have that problem in the first place. So it usually like, it's, it's yeah. scaling, but it's like, okay, by the time you need to worry about scaling, you're going to have the money to actually afford re, re, redoing things the way you need to do them um, yeah. to scale. Yeah. Like you're going to have money for the engineers. You're going to have, yeah, we've talked about this before. It's kind of a ridiculous notion to think that you can future proof. Really at that point, you're, you're just focused on like the business making money. Right. Like that's what you should be focused on. Whatever helps you make money quickest is probably the best idea. Frankly. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. It's just weird to me that people want to like architect things perfectly from the beginning. I'm just like, yeah. All right. Well, I think I'm, there's a, I mean, there's a balance. Obviously, you don't want to create shit and then have to build upon it and have like a, the kind of tech that is just, you know, ridiculous to try to get yourself out of. But 
there is a fine line between that and just over-architecting things and wasting cycles talking about it and yeah. Yeah. Inaction. Yep. Well, and, and, and that's just it, right? Like, what was it? Is it the drive book? I can't remember. It was one of those that we read back in the day that talks about right, like, lean startup, lean startup. Yeah. About the idea of creating basically enough to do what you need to do and then get your customers or get your clients to tell you what they want from you and architect mm-hmm. towards that and realize that your solution is going to evolve and change. So there's no way to architect everything up front perfectly because it's going to change and you have to realize that and be okay with it. So implementing Kubernetes when you're a small shop just doesn't make sense from a manpower perspective or cost perspective. Implementing a blockchain, you know, just to store like your, uh, you know, I, I don't know, your accounting information or whatever on probably doesn't make the most sense. We have solutions for that that are better suited towards that, you know, towards that problem. Uh, and just because there's a shiny new tech doesn't mean it's going to solve your problems. That That's what it always gets back to. So, oh yeah, it, for sure. A solution in search of a problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so, so any last final thoughts on the, uh, on any of the Twitter bits there? Twitter. Or do you want to move on you to Mark? You, you want something to drop on Twitter to say like how we were opposed to it or something? <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to tag Elon under the bus. That's my primary purpose, honestly, is just get quotes to throw you under the bus. That's that's my main driver today. Um, that's the main driver, so yes. If okay. anybody's watching, please pick apart Seth's words to twist them uh, and make... So anyways... Well, um, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah we, we've got 169 episodes that they can go back and mine through. I'm sure we've said something that oh can be God. taken out of context. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Oh my God, I'm sure you could super cut it into some ridiculous stuff. I know I've said some idiotic stuff over the the time so or over the time we've been doing this so uh okay so um i did i really because like i think we're gonna go down a rabbit hole with mark dowd's talk so like i definitely i'm trying to find the link for oh there we go okay i've got it i'm gonna post it here in Streamyard. you posted this and i was like i'll be honest with you i was like ah okay seems kind of interesting and then i actually watched and i was like damn this is yes this is really good like this is so it 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 is on. Don't discount point. this video. Like, if you're watching this yeah. podcast or you're listening to the podcast, please go to the video on YouTube and click on this uh, uh, in, in our um, chat. Usually, you have our chat available. Um, yeah. Or you can go into our Slack and find this link. It's already in there. But uh, uh, Offensive there. Con 22 Mark Dowd keynote. How do you actually find bugs? Is is this video? And you really, honestly, if you're watching this podcast, this this then is the video you should 100 percent be watching, as well. Yeah, um, yeah. So, anyways, do you want to give a brief summary of it? Uh, um. So, I mean, the the title of the talk is "How do you actually find bugs?" Right. So, this is Mark Dowd's keynote talk from uh, you know, Offensive Con 22. So, just a couple of days ago, um. And it goes into his process of how he he finds vulnerabilities, and um, and not necessarily from a technical perspective, but from an overarching, how do I approach a code base? How do I approach an application? How do I start start to understand that application? And then where do I start looking for bugs? Now, like this should sound familiar to listeners of the podcast. Um, if you've watched, if you've watched our, you know, any of the previous, uh, 
um, content, our practical secure review, blah, practical secure code review course. Um, the breakdowns that we put in there are very much like taking a step back from what are the actual technical bugs that are out there, how they're how they actually manifest into what is the approach that Ken and I take to actually find bugs. Um, so it's it's very apropos, and there's a lot that I agree with um, in this talk in general, right? Um, you know, one of the first things. Well, and actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it over to you first because I know you just listened to it within the last couple of hours. What are your first takeaways from this? Like from a you know, just from a pure, hey, I do this for a living perspective. Yeah, there's so many points to talk about, um, and this is going to be probably a longer part of the episode for those listening. So, um, yeah, like I, I think there's so many. Well, I'll, I'll try to start with what, and you and I can go back and forth on this, like starting from the beginning of the video to the end and working kind of like in that way and, and what I can remember from, um, like I said to you, I was listening to this while I was on a walk with the dog. So, um, all right, so the first... The first thing he talks about is sort of uh, more about the the soft part, right? The the, the human part of it. Um, yeah. And there are several things to immediately take away. Um, good points. So one is, um, and I'm going to try to not screw this up. So one is that you as a, as a as a person. Um, are going to deal with several things. You're going to deal with, uh, so he talks about temperament of an individual who's doing this bug researching uh, or bug finding, bug hunting. And this is actually a really good point. So for one, it typically is beneficial to have a super curious mindset and detail-oriented mindset as well, right? Um, because he he later discusses motivation and saying, you know, I don't really know how to motivate people. and And this is where I want to branch away from what he said um, and, and go, well, actually let me finish that thought. So when he talks about, he's like, I really don't, I can't really explain you know, how to be motivated. It kind of goes back to the fact that usually the individuals finding bugs are curious. And so that curiosity, you know, presumably keeps you, keeps you going, keeps you interested. However, uh, professionally, like if you're doing this for fun, that's one thing professionally, um, you don't, you know, being curious is great, but obviously everybody has their limits. So like, you, this is where I, this is where I come in and say, it's not motivation. It's discipline. Like I've learned this in life. It's not always like, I'm not always motivated to get out of bed and go do whatever, but what I am is disciplined. I follow a routine. I do it every day. Right. I can tell you there's some days I don't want to wake up and do X, Y, Z at work. Or there's some days I don't want to wake up and like go to the gym, whatever I do it. Right. That's discipline. That's not motivation. And I think that's a core component so like, yes, it's great to be curious, but everybody has their days where just like, fuck it. I don't, I don't, whatever. Like I'm, I just want to, I just want to go outside and go for a walk or whatever, you know? Um, but being disciplined, super important anyways. Uh, so that's the first point I thought was super interesting is, um, talking about that, but also he said, you know, one of the things is you're going to face frustrations and doubt, and that does not ever end in your career. And that is a hundred percent true. I've been doing it for 20, almost 21 years now. Uh, and the vast majority of that time insecurity. And I still feel insecure all the time. I still, all the time, I'm like, oh man, I don't really understand this one thing as much. Now that doesn't mean I stop. I like, I go and invest time to make sure that I like do fully understand something, but it doesn't mean that there isn't doubt. Like you're always going to doubt yourself a bit. And, and honestly, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's what keeps you 
kind of like uh, if you if you're overly confident, you're that that can have be problematic because you know then you just assume you know everything and uh, obviously you can't know everything. So I don't know. There's probably some value there, but uh, anyways, so those I just want to pause there. Those are the first two points in the on the human side of things. Like I wanted to make mental. I had taken kind of a mental note to pick apart and discuss a little bit further. So curious. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it, it, I mean, his approach, like, it, and it, we we get into this when we're you know talking about our own process and our own framework for reviewing code, um, like the whole idea of being kind to yourself and realizing that you are human and that you're not a machine, um, that you've got you know what, one of the things that struck me as interesting was his idea of having multiple projects that are that you're interested in running at the same yes. time. Right. So, hey, it's great that you're like reviewing source code, but you're inevitably going to run into walls. It's good. You're going to fail. And what do you do when you fail? Right. If it becomes too much, having something else to distract yourself with for an easy win, whether that is stepping into another assessment, whether that's hitting bug bounty, you know, sites, whether that is, um, hey, I'm building this open source application, something else to concentrate on and let your mind just relax from the pressure that you're putting onto it, right? Um, some of the best bugs that I've found in my career come from that exact thing, taking a step back and then getting back to the code after a couple of days because you have a fresh perspective and you're not so uh, one track focused like you are when you're reviewing that source code. Um, so like that was one thing that I pulled out of that, that I'd like, I was just like, yes, I totally agree with this. And this is probably why he's giving this talk in the first place is to have in juniors introduce themselves to what it's really like, but also people like us talking about the realistic implications of what we do and how we do it. Right. Um, let me see what my other takeaways were. Um, initially, especially on the human side of things, um, uh, yeah. I, I have uh, another thing I want to add on to that when you're when okay. You're, yeah, go for it. Go for just, it. Just real quick about the whole stepping away and having. So he had mentioned like to to, to what you just said. He mentioned having a couple of projects going. So if you get stuck on the one, you can always bounce over to the second one. So I was thinking about it. A lot of the the folks I know in security just happen to have, and I know everybody has their own take on the Myers Briggs. But a lot of the folks I know in this industry, they fall under the INT something scale, INTP, INTJ. Those seem to be the most common that, I'm, that I've come across, right? So always interesting. So, 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 so go back a little bit for people that don't know what is Myers-Briggs. Oh, yeah. So, so there's a personality test. I think there's like 13 major personalities. Um, they have uh, different qualifying things that, that then give you your four letter uh, abbreviation, right? So when I say yeah. INT, what we mean is a lot of using uh, sort of in, in intuition, some executive function, combining some some things to sort of like come away with. Um, you see this a lot with like engineers specifically. Um, yeah. and, and why you see that is because it is, and this is the point I'm trying to make, is that there is a uh, part of the brain that then is able to, to see the connections between things that don't seem connected, right? This is this is a, incredibly important when you're talking about sort of how your subconscious works. And I know we're going down into the weeds of this, but it, I 100% I promise you as somebody who trains other people and needs to understand a little bit about psychology, obviously not to you, Seth, you know this, but for everybody else, you, you kind of do have to understand a little bit about how people work. And I think like 
when you go take a shower or you go for a walk or you do something else or you bounce to that second project, the thing it starts to do is in the back of your mind when you're not consciously focused on something is your your brain starts to take these connections and starts starts to create like, oh, I understand. And again, this is it later in the talk. He talks about using uh, something that was discovered earlier and understanding so deeply how that works that when you later come to another thing, you're like, hey, wait, if I connect these two things, that's a real substantial bug. And this is this is my point is like when you when you bounce away, whether it's to do another project or whether it's to walk completely away from tech and do just something, your mind will start to make those little connections. And to your point, the best bugs I've ever also come across are ones where I they're usually chained together. And then that's when that chain kind of like pops in your head. You're like, oh, I had totally walked away from this. Uh, I was thinking about something else. Maybe I looked at something and now it's just created this. And I, I thought about maybe think about this other thing and then boom, I have an answer and I've chained things together. So that's the yeah. human element. And yeah, sorry. Anyways, that's like a bit of a rant, but I think it's important to sort of talk about that. Well, and so leading to the technical side of things too, right? Like, you know, there's the human element of exactly what you're talking about, stepping away, you know, you know, making those connections, understanding, you know, what you're looking at to such a level that you can start to make those connections, right? Starting from a small, from small pieces and then building upon that. But um the, the one thing that I, I wanted to call out was this idea that it's not wasted effort, right? Um, I can't tell you the number of times in my career, right, especially as a consultant, that I have revisited technology that I first saw 15 to 20 years ago, right? And then maybe I haven't actually seen it since then. And all of a sudden it pops up on a project and people are like, oh, you know, we have this you know, this COTS off the shelf product that this, you know, this, this health insurance company is using and they've customized it and, you know, they're on revision six. And I'm like, oh, I looked at this at revision three and we tried to implement, you know, X, Y, and Z years and years ago. And it wasn't even from a security perspective. It was from a development perspective, but those experiences and that breaking down of that application or that process 15 years ago still applies to what people are trying to do today and trying to implement today. Um, sometimes you have to abstract that out. But a lot of this goes back to, uh, you know, the mindset that you have as you're approaching this tech. Yes, it doesn't mean like you're not going to find a critical bug in every source, in every application that you look at as a vulnerability researcher. You're just not. Uh, whether it's, be, it's lack of experience, whether it's, hey, maybe there's not a bug that's in there. Um, maybe it's just, you know, that custom, you know, code base that they've implemented doesn't have those sorts of flaws that you're trying to identify. But your understanding of that technology, of that framework, of that language is going to be useful to you later in life. And keep that mindset going because, it's all just learning and it's all just, you're going to be taking it in for the rest of your career and it's going to pay off at some point, right? Like having this approach, having that tech, having that, that I don't know, that nebulous like framework within your back, within your mind somewhere or within your experience or within your skill set is going to pay off. Um, I've been asked this even within the last couple of weeks, right? We're looking at a code base or looking at an application. And one of the other testers that was looking at it with me is like, man, how do you always find this stuff? <laughs> and I'm like, I, I, I didn't, you know, 15 years ago, I probably didn't, you know, it's just a matter of experience. So 
Yeah. Sorry, well, I kind of went on a rant there. But yeah. no, no, no. That's actually leading to the next point, which because this is starting to get into more around because we're going to move into like, uh, you know, this talk moves from the human element into like the a lot will be said about context. A lot is mentioned in the talk about getting context, which is to your point. Um, what I kind of wanted to share from his talk was, uh, so you mentioned um, experience matters, but also he mentions a good point, which is don't discount your own abilities based off of experience, right? Because it, it absolutely does help and it helps build context. He talks about it later. It, it seems like a little bit of a, a dichotomy or some sort of uh, conflict. It's not a conflict. It actually, it it's more of like, to your point, um, regardless of experience, if you really understand a technology, and not like aren't aren't even looking for a vulnerability, just are trying to understand the technology itself. That's when you really do actually end up finding bugs. So like he mentions and going back to the whole experience bit, he mentions that uh, I forget her name. She's not a, she wasn't at the time a super um, I, I forget. And I apologize. I forget the name. I'm, I'm really bad with remembering names for some reason. But in any case, she was newer to the field, but she found a critical bug in Signal, and it all came down to her ability to really, really understand the state of, I think it was WebRTC and uh, state and how that affects the Signal product, right? Um, and when she really, really dug in, she found a bug nobody else found because there was like a secondary thing that allowed her, I think, to control the state and then be able to like interact with microphone and video and all that stuff. And it was like a super crazy bug nobody had uncovered, uncovered before with Signal. And again, this was a junior researcher that had found this, um, but that was because that was why she took the time to really understand the technology. So when now, as we move into like the uh, actual collect like analysis and starting to do some you know technical bits here, that's the the thing that he mentions, and this is something we talk about in the course that the most important part, no matter, because we have all these other things that you can do following up after you understand context. And so it is pretty specific to like, hey, you know, if you're looking at a web framework, then here are like the components of a web framework and here's what you're gonna do, like given the component of a, whatever. But in the beginning, we explain all that other stuff that comes after you mix and match as you need and you can switch things around and you're obviously gonna develop your own more enhanced methodology than we can give you in two or three days. But, the thing that's non-negotiable that you can never not do is understand deeply the technology and the context. But I think there was one thing from that, Seth, that he does a little differently, which I thought was, re again, really interesting. And, you know, we, when, we, when we go through our methodology and, and as we're building context, we, we talk about, okay, hey, you're going to go ahead and read the documentation. You're going to look at uh, commits and the Git log. You're going to see up where the code churn occurs and, you know, all that what I thought was interesting is he actually tries to get to understand an application first in, in the sense of only reviewing the code, only looking at uh, really the code. We talk about pulling in documentation pretty early on. He says he does documentation halfway through. The reason mm -hmm. is, is he doesn't want the documentation to bias his understanding of the application. They yep. may say it does something this way, or there may be this expectation, but what he'd rather do is understand the application from a code level and then make sure the documentation actually lines up with what his expectations are now of the application or what he's seen with the code. I'm curious about your thoughts there because that is a total, that is a totally different way. We always do it in the beginning. You know, I always do it, you know, read, I know you do. Yeah. Well. So right like, and this, this kind of goes back to, 
Um, okay, so so my take here is that this goes back to the approach that you're taking and what you're trying to accomplish, right? Um, so as a, a you know as an independent security researcher that's looking at you know heck he remember you know he was talking about OpenSSH and uh, you know Signal and some of these open source projects OpenSSL like what whatever as a as a security researcher looking at those code bases time is not necessarily a restricted um, component outside of like how much, you know, how much time he wants to put into it. Whereas us coming at a code base from a, you know, an organization perspective or a consulting perspective, I, I have a limited amount of time to actually review a code base. So I have to draw on my experience, but I also have to take, um, I have to take the hints that are given me in order to come up to speed as quickly as possible. Yes, it would be great to just dig into the code base to see how things are actually done. Um, and you know, when we're looking at custom code that's implemented on top of Rails or Django or something like that, we're trusting that the framework, the underlying framework, um, ha- is doing everything properly. Which is, you know, it could be discounted. Could be said that we're, you know, we're doing that incorrectly. We're doing that wrong. Um, but it all goes back to what we're trying, what we're trying to find bugs, in, right? Um, yeah. So I, it's, I mean, my takeaway from that is, yes, he's right, but he's still ha- he's still coming from coming at the code from the aspect of, I know what this is intended to do, right? Like no one's picking up SendMail, being like, huh. What, what is SendMail doing, right? Like, why is it called SendMail, right? Like, it, you know, yeah. you've got a general idea before you step into it, how it's accomplishing that fact, um, like where the where source is coming in, like there's still indicators that you're probably looking at inside of that and the deeper level, like communications between the different libraries and things like that, they're probably not as well documented. Um, so I don't know. Like, so my takeaway there is just like the approach that's being taken, the time constraints that are that are put on you and I as internal or consultants is often different than what a normal security researcher or not a normal, what an outside security researcher, independent security researcher is going to do and what they're going to spend time looking at. That's a valid point. We're always up against the clock. Also, most of our work lives in the web space. Uh, it, it is varied, but... You're right. Uh, we have a, a time consideration, but also like we know, look, we're looking at a web application this week, maybe next week, it's an, not maybe, probably next week, it's an entirely different web application. Um, and so like you do have to kind of know like what is the business purpose of, I mean, obviously you're going to, you're going to talk, if you're a consultant, you're going to talk to your client, but as an internal person, yeah, I get thrown a lot of stuff that it's like, all right, like check out the readme, look at any wiki or documentation, go back through the Slack channels, look at what's been done. Uh, look through the issues and pull requests, you know, you're doing a bit of like what we call in our methodology app archaeology to kind of figure out what has been done, what is the purpose, et cetera, et cetera. So, but I did think that was an interesting take about the, uh, so you make a good point and it's definitely a, your use case is going to, our use case is going to be different than, than obviously uh, his use case. But I think it's, it's super interesting to use the documentation to validate your expectations. Yeah. So, well, okay, and so before we, yeah, before we move on from that too, right? Like the 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 other um, example that I can give here is actually like bug bounty researchers, right? 
they, you know, the way that they do their research differs pretty, or the way that they attack applications differs from what you and I do right? on a daily and basis. And actually, that's the point. That's why we have both, both internal yep. testers and bug bounty researchers. To, to your point, absolutely, we do different things in a different way. Yeah. Yep. And so they come at it. They may be experts at something like SSRF or, you know, they've got like really deep knowledge in how those exploits are actually or those vulnerabilities are exploited, um, which is great because they can discover things and do that deep dive and get paid for it. Whereas, you know, in, in my three weeks, I'm, I'm not only looking at SSRF, but I'm looking at, you know, other injection vulnerabilities. We're looking at authorization and authentication. And right. So there's, there's a, a whole gamut that I am trying to cover with my assessment that a bug bounty researcher just doesn't have those same constraints and those same expectations. Um, and so that that's where I, I, I start to, you know, go back to, all right, so his approach is going to be a little bit different as an independent security researcher, as someone that's looking at core um, internet components and has not necessarily unlimited time, but yeah, unlimited time to look at it, right? Like, you know, he's probably doing this research over the course of six months. Um, I mean, I've never had a project that's lasted longer than two, maybe three months, right? Just, mm -hmm. yep. So, anyway. and if you're lucky enough to find somebody that can pay you to, to, to review code for two months, then you're in a pretty good spot. So, yep, uh, yep, exactly. But so this is also a point that he talks about, which we also talk about, which is once you have the context, and by the way, part of the context is diving in super deep to protocols. Now this is different from like, to your point, what we do um, on a time box, we can't, uh, well, that that is and that isn't true. There is certainly, there are certainly things that you spend time, um, you should have some downtime, not constantly testing to do some research, right? So when like, I don't know, a good example would be like HTTP two and three coming out. Good idea to check that out. Uh, when we talk about like web, uh, even like when CSP came out, good, good time to invest in that. Same site cookies, you know, the, all these little things that kind of come out to you know, follow and actually, well, I won't go down that rabbit hole yet, but in any, in any case, there, there should be some downtime in your life for uh, during your work life for some level of research, just because there are, new things that are going to come up. I'm a big fan. I know everybody says, oh, if you're passionate enough, you'll do in your off time. I'm a father and a husband and I have hobbies and like, yeah, I need some time in my work day to do that. Like that's just the reality, right? So anyways, but just to like move forward past like the fact that they keep talking about digging in hardcore on these protocols before even looking for bugs, which is again, more context gathering. Um, something you mentioned with your experience, you had mentioned like, oh, you looked at something and then it had been revised several times moving forward. And then potentially now there's a vulnerability either because you understood the context from before or because they introduced something. He talks about that. And there's a couple of points. One is, yes, it is. Well, he talks about taking notes, right? Like, because yeah. it's not important to just note things that are of interest to come back to because he talks about how he's wasted and you and I have done this too where you waste a bunch of time going down a rabbit hole only to find out that it's, it's nothing. Um, the worst part about that though, and this is the, the, the point I wanted to, 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 to touch on is he says, he makes another valid point, which is a lot of times, and I definitely had done this before I started using an actual methodology was I would start, I'd go down that rabbit hole twice. And he mentions he would do that. And that is just something that, because you simply forget, you didn't write it down. And so you're like, Oh, that looks interesting. And so you're like, Oh, 
I should go down the rabbit hole. And then you get like pretty far into it. And you're like, oh my God, I've looked at this before and decided it wasn't a vulnerability and I've just wasted more time again. And, and yep. that is, that is indicative of having, of course, walked and, away from the project and coming back later, but nonetheless, and, 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 take, and not taking notes. Yep. Yeah. The, the other thing there is there's like my, I like to call them my, uh, my favorite rabbit holes, right? Yeah. <laughs> Where, uh, like, you know, there's certain things that you're looking for, like, uh, you know, if you found something in a code base previously, say, like a, an authorization flaw, like insecure direct object reference, I know what that looks like. You find yourself looking for that in every single code base. And then you'll be looking at like injection vulnerabilities. And all of a sudden you find yourself looking at authorization, looking for insecure direct object reference again, even though you've already reviewed it or it's not time to do that, right? Like, because it's your favorite rabbit hole, right? Like it's one that's recently paid off or whatever, but sorry, sorry, that was just, yeah. Like one of the points that I was thinking of there. So. Oh, no, no, no. That's, that's a hundred percent. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And that, that bias is something I, I, I don't remember if, did he talk much about that, that vulnerability bias? Like where you, you just, you, you assume something's going to, I don't know, but the, 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 but that is a very valid point. And, and this is again, a reason to stick to your process and take notes. The second thing that goes that goes back to what you're originally saying about experience is you when you take those notes, you are inevitably probably going to go back to this application more than once, right? Like especially if you're a consultant working for a you know long term project. Usually, once you've onboarded a vendor, just from a paperwork, as long as the vendor was pretty good from a paperwork standpoint, you're going to keep going with that consulting company typically for a, for a little while until you one day decide you want to choose then change vendors or whatever, right? Or bring in another vendor, do a bake-off, whatever. Point is, as a consultant, you're probably going to see an application more than once. Uh, as an internal person, you're 100% going to see that uh, application more than once. Now, what's cool is he mentions like keeping track of what is not a vulnerability and why. And later, when you're going and reviewing back through your notes and you already, you already have the context of the application. So you're probably just looking at some new features being added, right? You can say, Oh, this wasn't vulnerable, but now it is vulnerable. And here's why I was looking for maybe a place where I could set this value. And now I can, because they introduced it in this feature. So this is the other point I've, tr we've tried to beat this home or drive this point home a million times, but note-taking is absolutely non-negotiable. It is absolutely essential to your process. It should not be an optional thing. It should be something you take meticulous, detailed notes about. I mean, there are very limited, there's a very limited subset of human beings in this world that can remember everything. I am not one of them, and probably you aren't either. So it's it's smart to, to take notes. Anyways, so that's, that's the next point, yeah. I, or that's the other thing I wanted to say there. Yeah, and I I did drop in one of the quotes there from it from well one of the things that he highlighted on on his slides documenting failed ideas is is as important as documenting successful ones right um, like nothing is more well demoralizing to me than opening up like you know another tester's notes and all I see is the the findings that are in the report right because um, I'm like ugh this doesn't tell me what was looked at, where it was actually like, you know, what the structure of the application was, like all that kind of stuff that you need right. to need to distill an application to get a jump on it. Um, but also 
what were the rabbit holes that you went down, right? Like, what is it that you explored? Um, and is there like some indicators there of, you know, things that I can jump on or I can, I can look at and say, oh, okay, well, you reviewed like this commit. Now this has changed. So even though it looked like it was, it wasn't a vulnerability now, then it may be now. So it needs another look, right? Um, so that, that sort of thing, but documenting those failed ideas is, you know, is pretty important, right? Like, and this is, yeah, we go back to like the process because that's how we frame all of our assessments. But this goes back to the idea of, hey, what are the threats that you considered, right? Yeah, most of those probably didn't end up being vulnerabilities or being, you know, exploited, but they show your thinking about this application, the risks that are associated with it, and the rabbit holes that you cho chose to go down because of your understanding at the time. And as you gain more experience, those are going to change and you're probably going to come up with more threats or different threats or different ways to come at that threat that could then result in a vulnerability or an exploit. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, you know, I, I yeah, I, I, all I can say is agreed. Like, there, yeah, there's it, and I really just going back to the, the, the root of this is those that documentation um, aspect, knowing the application, like you said, the application composition, uh, understanding deeply how it operates, understanding and documenting the failed ideas as much as the successful ones. And this leads into the next part of the talk that I was going to, to kind of bring up, which was he was talking about what are the signals for like detecting where kind of vulnerabilities can occur, right? So interestingly, there are a few main ones. So the one is mitigations. So when people fix code, he, he said something that just really stuck with me because it's tr so true. When you introduce a mitigation for a vulnerability, you, in you introduce additional uh, complexity, which brings, brings up another thought, which is about code churn and using code churn as a signal. He didn't say code churn as a signal, by the way. I don't, I don't think so anyways. But this brought up the idea of, any, so he, he said about just the complexity bit, right? Like you're adding complexity through mitigation and that needs to be reviewed. And we, I, I mean, one of the topics, if, if we ran, if we, if we ran short that we had was this whole, like how AWS decided a hot patch for, uh, what is it? Uh, shelf or log for shell or log whatever. for shell. Um, yep. Yeah. Um, and how, you know, their mitigation actually introduced a uh, pretty significant vulnerability, but we won't get into that for now. I think we're going to be at time just on this conversation alone. Uh, or this topic alone. But anyways, um, it's true. Mitigations can introduce additional complexity and introduce more vulnerabilities themselves. So that's an interesting signal. But another thing is like, you know, significant code churn in certain parts of the application. Something we've been talking about internally is like, you know, significant code churn in high ri higher risk features, meaning things that maybe touch permissioning or handle, you know, user content or things that can, you know, obviously like, me, you know, lead to some significant, meaningful vulnerabilities. So that's, that's one part. The second part that I thought was interesting, and uh, I know you've got a lot of thoughts on this, so I'm, I'm just going to get through. This. So the second, the second one is uh, about um, kind of a little mean, uh, he says, I think internally as a defender, I could not do this without actually causing some hurt feelings, but as a bug bounty researcher, I would absolutely do this. Or as a security researcher, um, additionally, uh, is following the developers that actually commit the most code with vulnerabilities and watching them and watching the commits they introduce and looking for 
problematic commits. And I know it's not nice. It is realistic. And frankly, if you're trying to behave like an attacker, they're not caring about, you know, the feelings of some somebody. They're just saying, like, this person introduces Volans. I'm going to follow them. Um, so, again, I don't think that that would ever – I know that that would not be feasible for, for an internal defender to, to, to do. It would, it would definitely cause some hurt feelings. Um, imagine you're a developer who sees your name in, like, an array of developers who, like, you know, <laughs> if you see a commit from them, you're, you're probably – or code churn, especially if you combine the two signals, code churn with that committer and higher risk features. Um, so anyways, those are a couple of the signals. There were other signals he mentioned, but uh, those two were the ones that really stuck out to me. Um, yeah, just curious about your thoughts and the other things you saw there that were eventually. Yeah, so so definitely the code churn, like I, I was interested in the complexity aspect, right? Like actually, you know, the like the amount of change that goes into some of those security like functions when it comes to those, the complexity of like, you know, authentication, right? Like when we make it super complex and we have like 10 different um, IDP providers and we're using OAuth and 2FA and everything, right? All of a sudden there's bugs that pop out of that, right? Because it becomes so complex. The other thing that I like, I keyed in on was his formula of software risk equals available, available attack surface ding, 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 times complexity, right? Like we, we spend so much time in the course talking about identifying the attack surface of like the endpoints that are available, like where people are going to come at the application. Uh, what does the attack surface look like? Because that's where the risk is associated. And then coming up with a list of risks based upon that, that I was just like, I, I mean, it was like, oh yes, you know, hell yes. Like this is what I agree with. This is what we talk about all the time is that attack complex attack surface and then the complexity behind it is where those where the where everything pops up um i mean to your point though about identifying specific developers open source projects and this goes back a little bit further in the presentation when he starts talking about like the blind spot that we as an industry have for um for applications especially open source applications as we assume because it's open source that someone's looked at it right um, I think we've, as an industry, we've started to get away from that, especially with package repositories like NPM and realizing that, guess what? No one is looking at 99.9% .9 of this code before it's actually pushed out to the world. Okay, 99.5, you guys are doing a good job over there. It's okay. Um, but the this, this idea that um, these complex applications that underpin all of our, you know, our custom development, our code, our, our websites um, has been looked at from a security perspective. That is not the case. Um, you know, most likely it's been run through some CI/CD pipeline. They've run the tests because they've built tests because it's open source in some cases, but it hasn't been thoroughly reviewed because there's just nobody that does that, right? Like there's a limited amount of eyes that are on that code base. And just because it's open source doesn't mean that someone has, uh, yeah, has the desire to go in and look at that code base, right? Or so, take the yeah. time to understand all of the nuances. Like, cause again, a lot of the stuff that he talks about is he's just looking at like the various protocols involved. Uh, you know, frankly, things that people thought weren't even like he talks about an example, I think with, um, was it, it might've been signal, uh, 
well or some, something else like like where uh, he was able to set an integer value, but it was like a low value and it didn't mean anything. And then later there was a boner, uh, there was a, a something. Oh, no, this was Flash. This was Flash he was talking about. So with Flash, he had found a vulnerability or it was a known thing that you could like set a low number integer basically through through Flash, but it, didn't, it was meaningless. It meant nothing. And it wasn't like, you know, anything that anyone, anyone was uh, worried about. But then he dug in more on the protocol side of ActionScript um, and uh, basically had determined if he was able to set a, a key value in a table that then it, he could uh, introduce, he could introduce the ability to call in arbitrary action script uh, code and then, and, and load it and then execute it. And that led to a pretty significant remote code execution, but it was because he spent so much time on the action script side of things that the other like known thing that a lot of people had already looked at, or a lot of people had just dismissed, uh, you know, basically uh, through, a lot putting in a lot of time on, on understanding that component was able to tie the two together and actually create a significant vulnerability. This, this again, to your point about just assuming that the stuff that underpins other stuff has been well vetted. It's absolutely not the, the case, right? I mean, like we've seen how many volumes have you and I talked about on this podcast that we're sitting in there for like 10 years. That's pretty yeah. common. Like the most significant volumes usually have just been sitting around in software for a long time. Um, and, and to your point, it requires someone just being curious enough to like dig in heavily on all the components that are being used uh, in the software itself, the protocols themselves. Um, he talks about picking apart W3C standards and actually how sometimes W3C is fun to follow because it introduces vulnerabilities, but that's another thing, I guess, altogether to talk about. But anyways, um, yeah, you're right. I guess there are, you know, that, that these are, these are all very valid points. These vulnerabilities exist for a long time, only simply because people have, haven't gone down the rabbit hole um, as you would expect. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, to that point, where was that? Hold on. There was one other thing. Oh, you know, the, the idea of using, I, I mean, okay. So you've got like air prone developers, um, you know, mean to follow whatever, but that um using things like bug trackers and like code fixes, not even from a security perspective, but from just an understanding perspective of what's gone into the code base and what the developers thinking was as they were developing different pieces of the application is invaluable, right? Like I, I know we've talked about it over just the last couple of weeks that, you know, with VS code, the Git lens plugin, being able to see what a developer was thinking, like what the history of this line of code is and why it was implemented, what it was, what the purpose was there um, is and incredibly any helpful. bug fixes yes, introduced yeah. then give you a pattern of what to look for similarly in other parts of the application. But sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. I just thought that was no. interesting. No, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, and, and it's okay to borrow ideas from other people. That's the, that's the other thing that I go back to. And, and I don't know if we, you know, we, we are going to do a refresh on like the course content, right? Like, you know, Ken and I are updating it just based on, you know, our current experiences and knowledge and teaching. But a portion of that is going to be a discussion on um, borrowing those ideas and actually stepping out and seeing, you know, hey, somebody else is implementing this same function in a different library, or they're calling this from a different place. How do they do it, as opposed to how this code base is actually implementing that that call? Um, you know, is there a reason that they did it differently? 
that maybe I'm not thinking about. But, you know, I like I do have a tendency as I'm wrapping up a code review or an assessment to go out and look and see what other people have done against that same framework language. Right. Um, and, you know, I don't know if that's as appropriate there towards the end as far as like low hanging fruit to make sure I didn't miss something or, you know, maybe I should have done that up front. Um, but usually by the time I hit that, you know, uh, end of a, you know, end of a project, I've got enough understanding that those nuanced vulnerabilities, those nuanced fixes, those nuanced exploits will mean more to me at that phase than they did when I didn't understand the underlying technology, right? So being able to, yeah, and part of this is just being humble and realizing that you don't know everything about everything, right? Right. Like it's a new code base. It's a different code base that's been implemented. They're trying to achieve something different. Uh, You're going to need other sources and you're going to need to depend on other people in order to come up with the ideas that allow you to find those exploits. Yeah, absolutely. Being curious, you know, like it goes back to the very beginning, being curious and not just like, uh, pretty sure I understand this. Like, no, like maybe I don't, maybe I should actually read, read more and understand understand more. Um, even this morning, there were a couple uh, keywords and some articles I was reading through trying to trying to keep uh, on top of the latest news. And I was like, I don't really think I understand that very well. And so I had to go, you know, again, this goes back to it doesn't matter how many years you've been doing this, that you, you really do have to like every day kind of approach it, approach it fresh and keep up to date. And um, that's how you maintain a sharp edge, honestly. Yep. Um, yeah. Anyways. Well, and, and to that point, right? Like, um, he does bring this up towards the end of the talk is, is analyzing your failures, um, figuring out why it is you made mistakes. Why did you miss a bug? Right. Is it an error in the process? Is it a pattern that you just ignore all injection vulnerabilities because you don't like them? Right. Like, and then figuring out how you yourself can improve that. Like, again, this, you know, it goes back to being kind to yourself, realizing that you're human, that you're going to make mistakes and being okay that you're going to make mistakes. Right. Um, You know, there's a reason that we caveat a lot of the reports with this is a point in time assessment with um, on this code base with these, you know, these specific parameters. This is what we looked at, why we encourage people to keep notes. It's so that when there is inevitably a failure that you miss something you have forensic evidence as to why that happened and you can improve yourself for the next time. Right. Failure losing. Yeah. It's, it's an opportunity to learn and to improve yourself and realizing that you don't know everything about all of these code bases and all of this, you know, this technology is going to make you a better assessor the next time the next project, the next application that you look at, it's again, it goes back to that growth mindset as opposed to, Hey, I know everything and I should be perfect right now. I think at this point I'm about 14 years into AppSec. And I got to tell you, if you are 14 years into this field and I mean specifically AppSec and you have never, you think you've never missed a bug. Sorry, you're delusional. I, or nobody's ever corrected you and told you, Hey, uh, you, you missed a bug. You're going to miss a bug. Like it's going to happen. It's hundred percent going to happen. Like you can't possibly look at as much code as, or, you know, even if you're just doing dynamic, I shouldn't say even if you're just, but if you're, if you're also doing dynamic testing 
or whatever it is, you know, however you're, you're doing your testing. Um, if you're like net, a network, if you're watching the show and you're like a network uh, or DevOps focused person, you're inevitably, there's just, if you look at enough stuff, there's just no, there's no, and, and you're time boxed constantly. There's no way you can never not miss a bug. Like you're, 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 uh, yeah. you're definitely going to, yeah. So anyways, um, in those cases though, it's not a woe is me thing. It's a, like, let me analyze this to your point. Let me analyze this and figure out how I can better improve my methodology, my process going forward. Cause that's really what a lot of this is about. It's not about some, uh, Uber elite, cool hacker swordfish style sitting down and, drinking a monster energy drink and playing some techno music and in 10 seconds finding a bowl. And, you know, it's like a very boring, uh, tedious detail oriented process of a lot of reading and, uh, analysis. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Yep. I don't know where I was going yep. with that, but yeah, no. No. no, it is right. Like it, it's, and, and, you know, to kind of put a bow on it, right. Like, you know, and Mark does this in his talk as well is that, you know, his summary is basically vulnerability research is difficult, but learnable, right? Like you can do it. Um, it but it is a practice in dealing with frustration, boredom, um, and new in information that comes at you. Um, and the key to success is actually, you know, compensating for those, for those, you know, for those feelings and taking in the new information in order to find the vulnerabilities, having a way to deal with it and process that information. And then also like extend out your own knowledge of that, of that code or of that application as you're looking at. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, but even though it is difficult, it's worthwhile. That's what, what, what we want you to get at, right. Is there are, there are processes that you can put into place. There's things that you can do in order to find those vulnerabilities. And your viewpoint is just as valid as ours. It doesn't matter if you've only been doing it for two years, right? Or if you're just coming into the field, you're going to come out in a different way and you're going to see things in a, in with a perspective that Ken and I don't necessarily have. And that is a good thing. That's the whole reason why we teach this and why we keep talking about it is that you can do it. It's not just us. Um, and we need you to do it, right? There's such a lack of people looking at all these open source code bases, looking at applications in the field that um, that we're never going to get through it and we're never going to be able to secure things unless we we level up everyone across the board and not just us. us. So, 100%. Yeah. It is really a community for a reason. And uh, yep. there's not a ton of us that do this. So um, we'd like to see that number grow for sure. To that end, uh, we did get a, a message in Seth and it reminded me about our uh, attempt at um, kind of creating a, an initial roadmap for, um, you know, zero to career uh, for, for, the, for, App, for AppSec. I know we did some initial part of that on the blog, but uh, it's just a good reminder. Um, again, this is one of the Twitter DMs I was responding to this morning uh, to like put together something a little bit more formal. I even think maybe even opening up a pull request that people can actually um, contribute their thoughts to um, would be a good idea. So just we'll, we'll have more on that. I know we keep saying that, but, you know, it, I, it's hopefully, hopefully, you know, if you couldn't hear the sawing for me, I've had a lot going on. Part of that's renovations and stuff like that. Plus life has just been crazy. I traveled for three out of four weeks recently. I mean, like, so hopefully by after June, things slow down and I can uh, a little bit and can uh, 
you know, um, focus more on these these larger efforts. But anyways, that's something we should do just so we can help onboard more people into this um, career path and and yeah, secure this ecosystem that we all live in. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I think it'll be a, you know, we'll 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 put together a blog post just based on our thoughts around what Mark's talked about as well and share that out. Um, you know, we've got some resources that can help do that. And yeah, it's just, yeah. I, I mean, I, I did post up the article there on like getting into application security. Um, that does come at it more from a, like, I'm just learning about web vulnerabilities perspective and how to assess an application and like where I can turn to, but it would be great to, you know, to add in this sort of analysis on, you know, vulnerability research, you know, looking at a code base. Um, but check out the blog. Uh, there's a lot of good things on there from a, you know, uh, from a resource perspective, and we're continuing to, you know, make changes and add things. But Sweet. yeah. Anyway, we've been going for a while. Like it went by super quick. I knew it would the second that we started talking yeah. about, you know, all there the things. So many points to get to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you have questions, if you, you know, yeah, please, please join us on Slack. Um, hit us up on. Twitter DMs or, uh, you know, Seth or Ken at absoluteappsec.com. Uh, love to keep the conversation going. And there are a lot of great resources on that Absolute AppSec Slack. So jump on in. It's not just Ken and I. Yes, that is absolutely correct. And I'll be reaching out. I've already reached out this morning to uh, one person we want to get on the podcast. I know people ask about Shebs. We will reach out to Shebs as well. Um, and perhaps maybe we reach out to Mark Dowd. Cause I'd be curious to, to, to have Mark on and, and speak more about this. But uh, one of the things too, that we're going to do a bit of is a little bit of like uh, walking through the anatomy of a ball and kind of thing and looking at more code. Um, so it's going to be a bit of a mix of content, but yeah, we're working on some in, in format improvements and just like more speakers, more code. It's going to be a fun, fun summer, I think. So anyways. Yep. Yep. And we will get, yeah, we will get back to the after dark episodes too. I know that like we've, you know, we, we started looking at vault warden and um, we'll get back to it. Right. Like it's just, oh. again, like Ken said, life is taken away. Yeah. Yeah. I got some cool lights behind me somewhere. Let's see. Um, yeah. The, over here. Yeah. Cool, yeah. The yeah. Cool lights to, to match up these lit lamps. So I'll have some cool like lighting for it. So I'm super stoked. It'll, it'll be, uh, <laughs> nice. it'll be neat. Um, a, yeah. a nice red tinge to your uh, yeah, after exactly. dark. Yeah. <laughs> Just gonna have it all be red in here, Sith style. But, Sith uh, style. There you go. Awesome. Cool. Good deal. All right. Well, thanks for everybody for joining us today. Uh, you know, we'll get this posted, and yeah, we'll see everybody next week. We'll be we're back on next week. Uh, we may have a guest, or we may dig into some of these other code bases and you know start to be able, to, you know, well, do some of the the technical aspects that Ken's talking about too. So, all right. All right. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good day. Ciao.